my friends. Welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast, episode 285, and we are exiting the Thanksgiving week. We are moving into the Advent week. And man, living between the holidays like that, it's just really great. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We certainly did. Had all of the kids and grandkids, everybody descended on the Boswell house, had a great time. Like on Thursday, you know, did the whole Thanksgiving thing. Then on Friday, people came over and we decorated the tree. Just a great family weekend. And now we're kind of amping up for the next leg of the journey, which is Christmas parties and get togethers and all this festive stuff and shopping. I mean, all kinds of things going on at the same time. And so, Just a great time of year, all the way around. Great time of year. Now, uh, I'm recording this on Thursday. It'll be Thursday night football. Therefore, for those who are watching, uh, it's why I've got my green lights in the back. It's like my action green behind me, pulling for my hawks that are not doing well, and I'm not sure tonight. And so what I'm going to do is actually go with my wife to a bowling alley to hang out with a bunch of friends and figure, hey, even if we lose, we had a great night of bowling, and that'll be fun. So all the way around, just good stuff going on. Happy about that. Uh, But that's That's not what we're here to talk about today. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been together. Again, I've been kind of doing these every other week for a while because my plate is very full in a lot of different ways. Um, But today I want to talk about what what I think is the essence of the Christian faith. And I I know that sounds kind of like big, you know, like the very center essence of the Christian faith. But but it's something I've been thinking about a lot because uh, I've had different discussions with people as of late. Uh, Some of those discussions have been good. Some of those discussions have been hard. Sometimes it's where we don't agree. Other times it's where we do agree. It's just all that stuff that kind of happens within, I think, probably any faith framework. There's going to be those seasons where, you know, you're just having kind of differences with people. And for me, what that does does is it causes me to think what actually matters, you know, like what's the most important thing? And I bring this up in part, and I'm going to kind of, I don't know what I'm going to title this because I always tell you guys, I don't know, I'm going to title it until it's done. And then I go like, oh, there's the title that picked me by the end. But it has to do with the idea of the difference between doctrine and doing, or maybe you could even say the difference between doctrine and discipleship. And, and maybe if I get to kind of the underlying theme that I'm thinking about there, it's the idea that uh, doctrine is not a, uh, like, an excuse for bad discipleship, or maybe good doctrine does not excuse bad discipleship, or doctrine doesn't replace the need for discipleship, or even doctrine doesn't trump discipleship. So I know that's a lot of stuff all in there. I was trying to kind of find the right words to pick for that. But but here's kind of what I'm thinking about. Uh, I was having a discussion with somebody recently, and I was trying to make the point that um, I that that doctrine in and of itself does not guarantee godliness. Uh, good doctrine doesn't guarantee that people are going to act like Jesus. And from that, I, I was kind of you know you know me I'm I'm, I'm much more. Um, appreciative of our vast Christian kind of denominations and dispositions and belief systems within Orthodox Christianity. I go back to that kind of like, you know, like old school creeds that are very slim down. That's the essence of Christianity and everything else is us trying to figure it out. Uh, and we're doing it, as Paul says, we see dimly, we see kind of through this cloudy mist of what truth is as far as that there is truth, but our ability to perceive it, understand it, and then fully grasp it is incredible incredibly limited until we're all like in the resurrected state. And I really do believe that. 
And so what I was kind of acknowledging in this whole space is that I have seen uh, places that are Calvinistic and healthy, and I've seen places that are Calvinistic and unhealthy. And I've seen places that are Pentecostal and healthy and Pentecostal and unhealthy. I've seen Methodists that are healthy and Methodists that are unhealthy. I've seen Roman Catholics that are healthy and unhealthy. Eastern Orthodox, you get the idea, right? Where it it made me realize that at the core then of the Christian faith is not if you find the right doctrine, it guarantees you'll be a Christ-centric person that really acts like Jesus. It just reminded me that almost any doctrine can accomplish that within Orthodox Christianity, but it's the decision to want to be like, act like, think like, respond like, reply like Jesus that really makes the difference in this whole endeavor, you know? And so that's why kind of in the topic of the day then where I was thinking about this idea of saying, you know what, what seems to matter more is not the doctrine element, but the idea of discipleship. So following Jesus more than following a systematic theologian that created a system that we sort of adhere to. And I know that's a little bit weird, and I want you to understand that I'm not trying to say doctrine doesn't matter. What I'm saying, though, is that doctrine is like it it, it serves the context of discipleship, but it isn't the vehicle of discipleship. All right, because I think that's what happens, especially in our evangelical space. Right. I think there is this love affair that we have as Western evangelicals with theology, with doctrine. And I think part of that is, frankly, it's easy. And I know that for some people, they hear that and they go, whoa, wait, doctrine and theology is not easy. And I go, well, here's what I mean. Uh, It's very easy to learn a thing in comparison to do a thing, especially in the Christian space, because in the Christian space, what we're being asked to do is fundamentally selfless. What we're being asked to do is not do things like the world does. And so we don't retaliate and fight back and we don't gossip and we don't try to seek our own and we put others before ourselves. And our mission statement is to love God, love neighbor, even love enemy. Like all of that stuff is hard, but learning doctrine, having Bible studies, talking about data points and, uh, you know, kind of the philosophy of Christianity. In comparison, it's easy because it doesn't require any legitimate sacrifice on my part. It doesn't require me to be like Jesus. It barely even requires me to really think like Jesus. It just requires me to be a student, you know? But but that's different, I think, to me than what it means to truly be like Christ. And that's what we're called to. Right, I think about this thing where Jesus is kind of trying to help his disciples understand all of this. And he says, really, when it's been done right, a student will be like his master. Right. And 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 so then in this discussion about doctrine versus discipleship, and what I mean by discipleship is following Jesus, um, I think too often we choose a discipleship related to following men, which is doctrines more than discipleship related to following the only man that matters, which is Jesus, right? So we instead become disciples of systems. And so for me, because I'm in the Calvinistic space, I become a disciple of John Calvin. I become a disciple of, you know, uh, you know, you kind of pick your poison as far maybe more recent. You could say you're more of an R.C. Sproul person or you're more of a John MacArthur person or you're a more of a C.J. Mahaney person or you're, you know, whatever the, the thing might be. Right. Uh, there's all sorts of Tim Keller would be one or, you know, Kevin DeYoung, you name it. You know, so there's all kinds of things for me. Uh, Karl Barth is kind of a, a, a core theologian to me. But the risk there is then I am trying trying to figure out how to benchmark my life against a system. And in that system, for the most part, 
doctrinal systems go far beyond like the text of scripture. Like, because what their job is, what they're trying to do is to say, I'm going to take this book that is ancient, uh, sort of confusing, doesn't always connect the dots in a seamless kind of way. And we're going to break that down into all of its pieces. And they're going to rearrange the pieces into a sensible model. We're going to call that a doctrinal system. And from that, we're kind of outside of the text. We're now acting as editors of the text to make sense of the text in our way. And then we're going to say that's kind of the truth. And then from that, we're going to benchmark our discipleship based on this source that has been kind of taking the Bible, busting it into pieces, re kind of putting it together or reorganizing it as an editorial system. And we're going to say that that is the standard now of Christ-likeness or godliness. And I go, yeah, but we've actually gotten a couple of steps outside of the Bible to do that. And not that that's a bad science or a wrong science or a broken science, but I go, that should be a tool. That shouldn't be the center, right? The center should always be a disciple is going to be like his master and Jesus is the master, not our system, right? And so as I've been thinking about this more, it just makes me realize that there is no theological framework that's going to ensure greater or lesser godliness for the most part, unless at the center of that is saying the agenda is to figure out how can I be like Jesus and this system that I believe serves that end. But so often what I'm finding or what I see just by way of experience is that often the systems almost get in the way of being like Jesus sometimes because they become so dogmatic themselves, they elevate pride, they elevate judgment, they elevate arrogance, they elevate absolutism. I think they even elevate a certain level of legalism because it's like this system is the most godly system. This doctrinal belief structure is the most accurate doctrinal belief structure, and it may or may not be. Again, the thing I'm certain of is that everything, once we're outside of the text, and what I mean by that, as soon as we are interpreting the text, as soon as we are uh, trying to restructure the text in an orderly, systematic fashion, uh, even reading the text, honestly, in some ways, is we're, we're in this space where there is a human error element introduced, right? So I believe that there is the scriptures, and I'm not debating the errancy, inerrancy things of the scriptures. That's not really my debate. What I'm saying is we are errant recipients of the scriptures. We are errant readers of the scriptures. Now, Jesus has given us a bonus in this. He's like, well, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you and he's going to guide you and teach you and all these things. But that is true to every one of these systems. In other words, if, 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 if a person has the Holy Spirit, he's in there teaching them. But Pentecostals have the Holy Spirit and Methodists have the Holy Spirit and Catholics have the Holy Spirit and Eastern Orthodox has the Holy Spirit and Baptists have the Holy Spirit. Believe it or not, sometimes the Baptists aren't sure they got the Holy Spirit, right? So Calvinists got the Holy Spirit, Arminians got the Holy Spirit, you name it. They all got the, so all of these people that are filled with the Holy Spirit have the Holy Spirit guiding them and teaching them in the scriptures, but they're all coming away with different ways of understanding how you harmonize all of this into a cohesive system. And that should be kind of the tip off for us that says, you know what, um, that cohesive system that is formed is a very human enterprise. Um, it is riddled with the potential for misunderstanding, uh, for reading into a thing, for uh, kind of almost like uh, stacking uh, well-intended, but nonetheless errant ideas. Because again, once you put together a system, then it becomes self-governing and it starts to then inform the way you read other parts of scripture. And so now you are adding a context to the text based on a doctrinal set of assumptions or 
presuppositions about that. And again, I'm not saying any of that's wrong, but what I'm saying is all of that should be held humbly, A. And B, if it doesn't help us to be more like Jesus, right? Like I think about, again, just the way he self-defines. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So if that doesn't help us to become gentle and lowly in heart where others find rest for their souls, then we go, is that doctrinal system serving the ultimate goal of being like Jesus? Or is this doctrinal system serving the ultimate goal of kind of having power or authority over a people group and to leverage that to decide who is more or less spiritual according to our standards. And this is a big difference between the two. Now, again, I want to return to something I keep saying. I keep wanting to give this kind of caveat of saying, I'm not saying, therefore, that doctrines are bad. I'm not saying the belief systems are wrong or right and that we need to kind of look at it purely from that perspective and that mine is more right than another. Like, matter of fact, that's what I'm trying to warn against is saying, hey, listen, within Orthodox Christianity for 2000 years, there's all sorts of extensions of people trying to figure out what is this this library of works communicating to us, right? And then from that library of works, we create some other additional things, which is our traditions and our new value systems that are born out of applications of kind of our doctrinal systems or whatever else. But but at the core, at the center of all of that, while we're doing this enterprise, we just want to realize and remember that, you know what, we are meant to be humble in that space. And if it isn't generating the things that Jesus expects of us, if it isn't acting as an apparatus of discipleship to more Christ-likeness, then maybe it's not the healthiest tool or maybe our relationship with that tool needs to change. So it's not about being right as much as it's about being teachable. It's not about being the most accurate, but it's being the most uh, desperate to intersect with Jesus and have him work in our life more so that we would be more led by the spirit and less led by the men who are trying to figure this out under the guidance of the spirit. Because all of this stuff, as I continue to analyze it and I continue to look and go, what makes for healthy communities, right? And what makes unhealthy communities of faith? I find more and more that less and less it's it's doctrinal cores and it's more and more are they committed to Christ-likeness? Are they more and more committed to looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and analyzing how did Jesus do it? What did Jesus say about it? How did Jesus interact with it? What were the priorities that he manifests in the space that he was living in, doing work in, caring for people in, whatever it is? Like, what's the stuff that matters most there? And I think that's really important. And that comes from a guy that clearly behind me, if you're watching, you can see, I love study. I love biblical studies. I, I more and more, I less and less like doctrinal studies and theological studies for this very reason, just because after 30 years of doing ministry and being in the local church setting and being a pastor and seeing the good and bad and all of it, having been a toxic theologian myself uh, and let man-made theologies become the decider of who I thought was godly and ungodly, um, th- th- that after just, again, three decades of that, I've just come to see as I've looked around that there are some people out there that are tremendously representative of Jesus, like remind me of Jesus in really amazing ways. And they're not my, my doctrinal tradition. In fact, even in our own church, you know, we're, we're a mixed bag of things, right? So for sure we are like, like multi-denominational. Some people say we're non-denominational. That's the listing I give, but I really should say we are multi-denominational when you boil it down. And some of the people that I find to be most like Jesus, just super remind me of Jesus. I go, 
We're not on the same page doctrinally at all, and yet you inspire me. You remind me of what I need to be doing more, um, and and I need to grow in that, you know? And so that's the thing I love about this whole enterprise. In fact, that's the thing I love about the fact that Jesus' kingdom is not just global, but again, it's multi-denominational because it's all just flavors, right? At the end of the day, I really think that the church is like Baskin Robbins and Christianity has got all these different flavors and Jesus loves the flavors, but what Jesus expects in the flavors is A, that they all seek to be like him, and B, whatever the flavor is, it generates humility. It generates humility. It generates wonder. It generates mystery. It generates awe. It generates worship and joy and, and the fruit of the Spirit, and it mobilizes us to be more like him. And if it's not doing those things, if it's more about judging everybody else for how they're wrong and we're right, if it's generating more of a pride that this is the absolute way, if it's generating more of the sense of, you know what, uh, it's so sad that everybody else is so wrong and after 2,000 years and our little microcosm, we figured it out, that should be the warning sign. You know, like, oh, wait, maybe that kind of exclusivity in our doctrinal systems are showing how far away we are from having the disposition of Jesus. Because the disposition of Jesus to me is utterly different. And when I look through the Gospels, uh, you know what I'm hard-pressed to do with Jesus is decide what he is. Here's what I mean by that. When I read the Gospels, I'm like, at the end of the day, Jesus is clearly a Calvinist, right? And everybody goes, well, of course Jesus isn't a Calvinist. Oh, so Jesus is an Arminian, right? And of course he's not an Arminian. Oh, so he's, he's a Roman Catholic. Well, no, Methodist, no. Baptist, no. John the Baptist was the Baptist. Jesus wasn't a Baptist. Yeah, it's a joke. All right. But here, don't, don't you kind of get the idea? If, if none of us want to ascribe a denominational or doctrinal marker to Jesus, and yet we're all meant to be like Jesus, then why are we getting lost in the weeds that we think our doctrinal markers are more or less accurate in relationship to others if at the center what matters is being like Jesus? That's kind of the key idea here. Now, I want to be clear one last time in kind of my caveats here. I am not saying that there isn't bad ideas out there in doctrine. I'm not saying that there isn't broken ideas out there in doctrine. I'm not saying there isn't toxic ideas out there in doctrine and that that we should, I believe, as Christians go like, that thing is a broken thing. That is something I would not endorse in the doctrinal space, right? But the other thing is there's really good ideas in doctrine across the denominational borders and lines. And sometimes the reality is in my own system, like for me as a reformed Calvinistic guy, I know for a fact some of the things in my system that I think are toxic and broken. They're in the system. They're intractable, right? You cannot remove them from the working system. But I look at those things and I go, I kind of try to downplay those because I understand it as an integrated framework, but I actually think it's both unbiblical and toxic in the system. Therefore, it should be a marker again of saying, yep, there is some mold in my cheese right there. So here's my brick of cheese. I'm a Calvinistic dude. That's my brick of cheese. But my cheese has mold and holes in it. And I want to recognize the holes and I want to recognize the mold in the system because none of it was meant to be infallible, right? None of it. The Holy Spirit's infallible. Jesus is infallible. Is infallible. I'm fallible. Our systems are fallible. Our doctrines are fallible much of the time because it's human beings trying to figure out in the power of the Holy Spirit what this all means. 
And at the end of the day, what it most means is however you're figuring it out, however you're stringing it together, however you're processing it through, being like Jesus. Are you being like Jesus? Are you living like Jesus? Are you thinking like Jesus? Are you showing mercy and care and compassion like Jesus? Are you caring about the things that Jesus must care about, cares about? Because I think Jesus cares much more about our deeds than our doctrines when it comes to a life with him. He cares about our deeds over our doctrines when it comes to a life that is lived in and through and for him. Because again, what you repeatedly see about rewards is it's not about what we believe, it's about what we do. And what you see from Jesus in the end is he has this final judgment of all who follow him. He's like, I'm going to measure you based on what you did, not what on what you simply thought, right? Now, I know some people, their alarms are probably going off and go, but Matt, wait, 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 there's, there's false doctrines and there's cultic things and everything else out there. And I go, yes, there are. There absolutely are. Different topic, different day. But I want to make sure that we're not taking too much peace in, hey, as long as my doctrine's most right, I'm most Christian. It's like, no, your doctrine might be most right and you're less Christian for it because what Christian is, is Christ-like. It's not doctrine-like. It's not system-like. It's not philosophy-like. It's Jesus-like again. Keep wanting to pound that out. It's Jesus-like. And I think when we get that in our head, when we're measuring not how well do I know the system, but how well do I represent my, my Savior? How much am I making a kingdom difference in this world? How much am I owning that he cares about the values and the vision that he has? And then I'm an ambassador of those things more than I'm an ambassador of thought, right? Rather, I'm an ambassador of, of function, right? The more we do that, the more we have ownership of that. Well, I think then we will be awesome every day missionaries. <laughs>